are back with a new episode of our ARM New Reality series, and we've got something today that is both timely and inspiring. We're going to explore the way in which mobile devices are transforming healthcare. This exploration comes at a time when many people, including both healthcare professionals and patients, are experiencing telehealth for the first time, and they're grappling with the challenges of balancing the convenience of mobile virtual healthcare consultations with the requirement to ensure that everyone's health information stays secure. Joining me in this discussion today are two guests. The first is Seidel Amin. She is a passionate silicon security product manager, a lover of conspiracy theories, excited by every demo using Doom, a fervent defender of her personal data, and she is responsible for making ARM architectures fly across the ecosystem. Our second guest is Asa Miller. He's the chief technical officer of Portland-based pediatric primary and urgent care provider, BraveCare. He specializes in building mobile apps with React Native and web apps tools. I'd like to start first with you, Asa. I'm particularly excited to get your perspective on telehealth as you deal with providing pediatric care. And I'm sure that involves specific challenges that are unique to diagnosing and treating young children. How do you see the current state of telehealth? Well, there's a lot of really interesting things that are different about trying to do telehealth in the pediatric space versus for adults. What we've seen in our clinics is that we can do telehealth for a, a small number of things, but there's a certain amount where you just you really need to come in because we need to run tests. We need to actually see the child. The other thing is, is when you think about like trying to do telehealth as, as a, like for yourself, you can go sit in a room, you can talk on your phone, you can talk to a doctor pretty easily, but you do it with your kids. You have to wrangle your kids. You know, you have to you know, try and get them there. You're trying to hold the phone. You're trying to talk to your kids. You're trying to point the phone at, at, at your kids. For me, the, the part that I've found is I think is the most valuable from a from a parent's perspective. I just want someone like I just want to ask someone this question because I, I don't I don't feel confident making this decision myself. And so for us, that sort of initial con consultation of like, do I need to come into a clinic or can I treat this at home? Is this a big deal or is this not a big deal? That is the big question that I think telehealth really helps with. And we're looking at, you know, many different ways to sort of help with that question and then also provide this great experience in the clinic if if you do need to come in and see us. And Seidel, what are you seeing more broadly across the, the ecosystem as you're talking to um, people who are implementing telehealth solutions? What are they concerned about? So I'm actually, I'm really excited about what ASA is doing. I love the idea of telehealth for kids. Um, and just as parents have a higher bar for doctors for their kids, they also have a higher bar for privacy. So a lot of the conversation around telehealth is how is my data protected? But I think with kids, it's you have a lot of people who are willing to share their information all over social media, but they won't do it for their kids. And so I think the bar for privacy is even higher with what Brave Care is doing. Yeah, that that actually um, brings up a whole um, batch of things, including like patient rights, um, the, the the device security, um, as you said, the data security, and how that kind of fits into uh, a total package of security that needs to be provided, particularly in the, the telehealth. And uh, Seidel, maybe you can talk a bit about um, Arm's approach to that. So we're looking at a lot of what's happening in medicine. What's really exciting for us is happening through AI and machine learning. And why what BraveCare is doing is, is also exciting is because there's a tremendous amount of data that they have about all of the diagnostics that they're doing on kids, that they're doing you know, in all of their different locations. That information 
is from arms perspective, the ultimate goal to protect. And so what we're doing is looking at where you have devices, edge devices like mobile devices, you have PCs, um, even your television with cameras. How do you protect the data that's on all of these edge devices that needs to be used on servers by guys in the healthcare industry at universities who are working on medical research? You need to be able to create trust between the server and all of these edge devices. And that's really what ARM is focused on at the hardware level, is what can we put into the hardware to, to basically enable that trust? And, and Asa, how does that um, work at your end, where, where you're uh, working with um, parents, as you say, who may only have, a, you know, I, I use my smartphone for going on Facebook and making phone calls. And um, so uh, without putting a big burden on them, how do you make sure that you have uh, the right level of security uh, that is going to uh, protect them uh, and uh, offer the level of care that you want to offer. Yeah, it's it's definitely a, a challenge because, you know, you think about in order to create really great user experiences, you often, you know, you want to provide data for even something where it's like, you know, you get a push notification that says, hey, your appointment is coming up. It's like, do you put any PHI in there? And so you have some some real interesting challenges around that of, of how do you keep that secure? Um, you know, for us, we're really f- focusing on just limiting where that data goes and keeping it really locked down in, in our system right now so that we can kind of control who has access to it. Um, and also, you know, thinking through the process of, you know, the, the family dynamics can change over time. So you might have, you know, one person who has access to a child who may not, you know, needs you need to revoke that access and you need to change, change who, who can access that. So there's definitely a, a lot of challenges there that are really unique in the pediatric space. Well, and you can even you can you know, extrapolate that out. I like what I like what you're saying about, you know, establishing privacy by person, you know, does mom have access? Does dad have access? But if you extrapolate even further, do, do you want your school nurse to have access, right? So I gave Billy Tylenol this morning, but I sent him to school. Should he, you know, should he be getting some other type of care at school? And you might want your school nurse to know that, but how do you establish that this school nurse has access and one in Wisconsin doesn't? <laughs> or that they have access to see like when Tylenol was administered or give Tylenol, you know, record that they administered it, but not see like the results of their checkup, you know, six months ago, or like, it's really that sort of granular level of access that that a lot of different people need. Yeah, exactly. I want you to have some information, but not all the information. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. And I, I think it's interesting, too, that you've got people who are using telehealth, um, but they've also, as, as you said earlier, Asa, there are some things where they're going to need some in-person care. Um, and so they're going to have these experiences of both in-person care and telehealth. And I would imagine, uh, Seidel, that that uh, mobile technology is informed by those experiences where people are saying, well, OK, I actually had to go in in person. But if there were certain things enabled on the mobile device or within the mobile experience, I could actually do that through telehealth. Yeah, absolutely. A, a great example is um, my mom and her blood pressure monitor. So my mom needs to test her blood pressure every day. It's a connected device. There's no reason she should have to go to the doctor to submit that information because she's got it not only on her connected device at home, but it, the information is also on her health app, on her phone. She can share it directly with the doctor through another app that's for the doctor's office. And all of those interactions, they have to be protected. 
Asa, what do you see um, in terms of what you're learning from your in-person care that might inform how mobile technology can do a better job for telehealth? You know, there's one of the things like when 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 we started this company, when I first like uh, joined, like I, I really thought like a lot of the the tools out there, like it'd be a solved problem of like, you know, what does the EHR look like for, for a healthcare company? What does telehealth solutions look like? I thought there'd be some good solutions out there. Um, we quickly learned that, that, that most of them really um, sacrifice on the user experience side of things um, or are, you know, just painfully antiquated from a technology standpoint. And so we quickly learned that unfortunately we needed to build a lot of this stuff ourselves. Um, but that really opens up some some interesting stuff where it's like if we're going to build all of this tech from the ground up, how do we think about these things from the beginning of how like, you know, I'm a parent, I have a phone. How do we how do we pull that in? How do we how do we connect all of these devices together so that it's really the seamless experience from you know, chatting with us on your phone or, oh, okay, I need to now bump that up to a t video telehealth visit. And now, I, oh, okay, now maybe I need to go into the clinic and, and actually see someone and get a, you know, get a test done to, you know, when I leave and what's the, that follow-up look like. Um, and so I think, you know, we're able to sort of think about that. And, and the biggest thing that we're, we're doing is trying to really focus on the user experience side of like, what is that? What is the experience for the parent and how can we make that the best possible experience? And I think that's been a big piece that's been missing in the healthcare space is really, you know, focusing on, you know, how can we how can we really create this this great experience for people using the, these tools? And so from the like telehealth side, you, you have a similar thing. Like we've tried, like there's some, some connected devices for taking, uh, like otoscopes and, you know, temperature and blood pressure and all of these different things. That's really hard to do as a parent, like with a child, like, you know, like, the, like putting, putting the uh, scope in, in your kid's ear and trying to like, Oh, can you see, does that work? Do I need to move it? Like it's, it's a much harder problem than, um, than it might be for, for an adult. And so, while I think there's a lot of great things that we can do through telehealth, I think we're for the time being, we're we're limited until some of those uh, technological pieces like of the hardware really catch up so that we can we can have a really easy way to do it. Like those the, the monitors that we're starting to see where it's like, cool, we have a, a you know, we have a pulse ox that's just ambiently taking taking readings like that kind of that kind of approach i think it works great where where maybe your kid has a has a watch that's always taking some metrics and and as we increase like the number of sensors that are in there and the, the amount of information we get i think we can do a lot of things but just kind of taking the the taking the tools that might be in a doctor's office and connecting them to your phone I, i'm i'm still hesitant that that's going to be a, a a good option for parents and I think that's one of the challenges is that we're seeing more connected devices, but the kinds of just everyday devices you have in a doctor's office, they're not connected yet. And so getting uh, a lot of what I do is working with partners to say, OK, how can we accelerate this? How can we, how can we turn the, you know, the EKG that you have in your doctor's office into something that is a home device that someone can do at home to help telehealth? Right. So you're looking at ways in which mobile technology could replace some of the in-person care. Absolutely. And what we're trying to do is we want to make it cost effective. So how can you do this with the least like the lowest barrier to entry so that you take a simple device and you can make it connected because the data is there. It's collecting information. How do you make it accessible 
really easily. Yeah. And I know that there, there's all kinds of initiatives. Uh, I, I've heard about uh, insurance companies, for example, uh, offering people access to devices. And if they do that, then it's lowering their insurance rates. Yeah. And so when you think about insurance, um, again, you know, I love what, what Brave Care is doing because you have this plethora of data. So let's say you have, you know, 10 kids that come in and you do some kind of test on them. And what you can take from that is, well, hey, maybe out of the 10, only one kid needed the test. So you could have drastically reduced insurance costs too. Insurance companies love this idea, right? That you have telehealth where data is being collected um, and how can we use that data to lower costs? Yeah, I mean, I, I think for us, we've seen that there's about, you know, maybe 20% of our, our, our in-person visits that, that we could have handled through telehealth. But there's a lot that we still need to see in person and, you know, and whether that's whether that's, you know, to perform a test or, or any of these things. I think what's interesting, too, is that there's sort of different degrees of like in-person visits too. coming to us is significantly cheaper than going to the emergency room. And if you can sort of have different tiers there where it's like for, you know, if it's a life threatening thing, absolutely go to the emergency room. They're well prepared for that. But there's so many things that, that we can treat much more cost effectively than, than an emergency room can that that works really well for insurance companies. They love the fact that we're a much cheaper option for their patients to come in and we can provide really great care. Well, and I think the other thing is that as your technology gets better and better, like when you think of cameras and augmented reality, you can diagnose more things over time. And that means that you can use telehealth for even more. And, and, you know, when you think about all of those diagnostics, all of those things together, every one of those devices has to trust each other, right? There has to be some element of you're a real device. You're not a server in Ethiopia. And I think the biometrics is particularly interesting, Asa, as we, we look at, 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 at kids, you know, people, um, th- there's uh, everyone's concerned about security, but particularly security for kids. So are there special um, things that you need to do? I mean, I think for for us, we're following just general best practices around healthcare. I mean, obviously we're regulated by by HIPAA and, you know, and following those those practices. But in general, for what we're doing right now, it's mostly just as you would build a good technology company, we're following those, those practices that I think that's one of the interesting things about, about like HIPAA is most of it is like stuff anybody should be doing because like you want to, you should keep, I mean, any company should be keeping their, their customers data secure, regardless of whether it's healthcare or not. It just becomes amplified when it's healthcare that you want to make sure that all of that is safe. And as you want to provide data to more entities, it becomes more complex. And I think for somebody who's built their technology from the ground up, it's easier to support those kinds of things, that more granular protection that it's just talking about. Yeah. And I would imagine that, Cetal, as you're working uh, across the ecosystem, that you're, you're seeing more and more examples of where people will want to make those connections and, and where there's some great use cases, um, but also being aware of where the pitfalls are in terms of what needs to be secure and how it needs to be secured. Yeah. And we're definitely seeing that with COVID, with Bluetooth tracking. I think it's one of the greatest examples of how you have a tremendous amount of information that you can use for the great or good. And so you're finding that people will give up a little bit of their privacy in order for the greater good. I think what's really interesting about that, though, is like that, those APIs were engineered really to to maintain privacy while still trying to accomplish this, this goal of like, how are people interconnected? And when 
that that piece tends to be overlooked by a lot of a lot of times when people are building this technology is that it's like oh we have to sacrifice privacy in order to you know solve this problem and what we see is there's very clever people out there who figure out how to how to solve that without sacrificing people's privacy. Uh, The other thing I was going to say is, you know, when you take that COVID example and you go even further out and you think about, again, all of the information that you have from diagnostic tools, think about what universities and um, pharmaceutical companies can do with that research. That if you can have some machine learning on a device and a machine learning model in your server that is looking at populations of data. You could find populations of cancer in specific places. You can extrapolate out what's causing that cancer. But all of those things require that you share information. And so this greater good, people are willing to, they're not sacrificing their privacy. Ace is absolutely right. But what they might be doing is saying, well, you know, I think people are taking care of my privacy, but this is doing something that can solve problems for entire populations. And so I will give you access to some of my data if you can guarantee that I'm protected. Right. So so in the same way that people might be willing to share um, aggregated data for a piece of software, um, that this is an even greater uh, broad benefit um, that if you're willing to share a certain amount of information, maybe about, you know, the the city that you're living in and how old you are and what your blood pressure was without it necessarily being ascribed to to you individually. But that's the aggregate data that's available out there for uh, the the um, uh, the health community. Yeah. And that's, you know, exactly what Asa was talking about, what Apple and Google are doing to protect you. And there's really smart guys out there doing it. They're looking at differential privacy to aggregate your data without saying anything about you individually, that I can basically improve my artificial intelligence, my machine learning models to get extrapolated data out of that without knowing anything about you. So you, you touched earlier on um, AR and VR, and, and I'm wondering um, how you see that kind of playing in telemedicine and, and telehealth scenarios uh, kind of going forward, uh, both in terms of training and also in terms of scenarios where you, you want to bring in um, some expert consultation and do it much more quickly than you would otherwise be able to achieve that. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely some some uh, some interesting ways that can be used. I'm I'm a much bigger fan of AR than than VR personally. I think that 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 the the sort of mixed reality view of things is, is really fascinating, especially when you're thinking about um, uh, thinking about like kids and you know people who are not going to be able to probably not going to sit there and put a VR helmet on and stay in a, a fixed place. Um, but like like we've been looking at. As the as the hardware gets better and the sensors and the hardware get better, those kinds of things. Can you use that? Can you measure a kid's height? Can you approximate their their body mass? Can you can you use some of these things? Use this hardware in a way that you might be able to get the answers to what you're trying to get without having to like go into a clinic and measure these things. And so I think there's some really interesting things that that will come out from that. Um, or if you think about like telemedicine, um, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of challenges around helping parents understand how to measure something, whether it's like, how do you measure temperature in, in an infant? How do you, you know, how do you, how do you do these things for kids that parents aren't really set up? Like they haven't learned how to do that necessarily. Can you use AR to provide 
sort of instructions in the real world there and show, you know, show them how, how to do these things. Or, you know, we, we had one, uh, like we have a, we have a symptom checker that helps sort of walk parents through that. And one of the things that, that we ran into there was, um, for like for fall injuries, there's, there's sort of a, a, a test where you apply compression to a bone, or like to their arm to, to try and evaluate whether they've broken their arm or whether they, you know, the degree of the injury. And it's like, how do you communicate applying lateral compression as, as our chief medical officer likes to say on, on that joint to a parent. It's like, I don't know what that means, but if you could show like, you know, overlaid on their arm, you could show, Oh, push here and here. And you know, does that hurt more than if you push here and here and like those kinds of things you can, you can do some really interesting stuff around that. And you can do some fun stuff too. You know, maybe your child doesn't want you taking their temperature, but they love it if Anna and Elsa do. Yeah, that's a great idea. I, I'm also wondering, I mean, uh, I, I know, Asa, that, that you're um, specialized in pediatrics, but I'm also thinking for uh, elder care that there's a, a lot of applications where um, you've got um, family members taking care of uh, elderly uh, relatives. And, and uh, again, with a lot of the same kinds of challenges of uh, they, they could really use help in terms of being guided. Well, I only mention it because I, I, I've had that experience uh, with with my mom who's in her 80s. Um, and she's, you know, had some of the telehealth visits with the doctor and they want to know, OK, well, how's the blood pressure been? Um, how how's the the oxygen? So she's got a little pulse oximeter uh, there. There's a, a blood pressure cuff with uh, an app for it that uh, all of the data from the all of the last, you know, um, several weeks of readings, uh, we can automatically give to the doctor um, and it, it makes it really fast and simple. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that kind of thing of being able to have have devices like that and, and, and those points of data on a recurring basis, especially if you're taking it every day and have having doctors be able to see that rather than just one point of data when you're in an office is 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 great. There, there was a great example a couple of years ago about rice cookers in Japan, connected rice cookers. Um, like, why would you want a Wi-Fi rice cooker? But they were putting them in their elderly parents' homes because the rice cooker would go off every single day. And if it didn't go off, they would send neighbors over to check on their parent. And it was brilliant. They were like, why are these connected rice cookers selling so much better in Japan than anywhere else in the world? And it was because people were putting them in their elderly parents' home to get a little piece of data that they were okay. Yeah, I, I've all heard as well about um, smart toothbrushes uh, for similar kinds of applications. Um, so you've got uh, a bunch of dental information and uh, um, how people are, are taking care of themselves to inform uh, their visits to the dentist. Yeah, I'm hoping guys like Brave Care expand what they're doing with telehealth to veterinary medicine because my dog hates going to the vet, right? My dog would rather I open his mouth than the vet opens his mouth. It would be great if I could do telehealth for veterinary medicine. I think that's, you know, it, so many pet owners would love it. And it's the, it's the same kind of idea. It's the same kind of idea about, you know, all of this data and um, different types of animals. So, Asa, I'm wondering how the clinic experience um, has changed through um telemedicine. So you've got people who you've worked with um, more closely um, through telemedicine, but now they're coming back into the clinic and you perhaps have had more interactions with them. And what, what things are you doing differently in the clinic now? we just opened a new, a new clinic. And so it gave us a chance to like reevaluate a lot of stuff and really think through this, this um, sort of end to end patient experience. And so, uh, 
what we ended up looking at was like, how do we make this, how, how can we bring a little bit of joy into this process? How can we make it a little bit more, more fun? And so we were talking about what do we name our, like, what do we name our rooms? Do we put room numbers? Do we give them names? How do we help people sort of find the right place to go? And that was where this sort of idea of like, well, instead of, um, you know, instead of having like numbers or names on the room and, and having the person have, you know, have to figure out where they go. What if we just put a little light, you know, built into the wall that, that lights up when the, when the patient comes in, that tells them what room to go to and we can just take them right there and we can customize that a little bit for them and, and make a really fun experience there. And so I ended up, um, prototyping this with a little Arduino and some, some controllable LEDs and 3d printing a little sign that we could put in there. And then as, uh, I probably did way more iterations on this than, than I should have, but it was a fun project. Um, I, you know, I started thinking about, okay, we have, we have this hardware. Um, one of the things that we have is we have like a medical assistant who will come in and, and, and do some intake stuff with the patient. Then we have a provider come in and then we, and then when the patient leaves, the room is dirty and we need to clean the room and then mark when it's finished being cleaned. And so we have this whole process and I started thinking, well, right now what what we were doing is we were having people sort of manual manually entering that through our software and so um you know when the medical assistant is done they would go back to their workstation change it and so that the provider knows it's ready ready for them to come in and so i started thinking uh the first idea i had was well what if we put a little button on there so when they you know walk out the door they push a button and, and, it, and it can change the status and then no one wants to touch anything and we shouldn't touch anything and so um so I put a little uh, a little motion sensor on there, so you can just wave your hand past it, and it'll and it'll register that, and it'll move the room into sort of the next status, and the light will change to reflect that, so you can so the staff can see what um, what the status of the room is, um, and so just f fun ways to incorporate technology into this this process where you know parents get and children get to see something that's a little bit different, where the the, the room can be a little bit more interactive and, 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 but also our, our staff has a lot of, um, uh, has some really great tools for how to do their job quickly where, where they can just walk out of the room and wave their hand past something and, and be on their way. What I love about what you're doing there when you, as you're talking, I'm thinking about all the data. I'm thinking, wow, you have all kinds of metrics. How long is a person in a room? How long did, you know, the, the practitioner spend there and how can you make my experience shorter <laughs> to make me more comfortable? Yeah, definitely. And, and that's something where it's, it's really interesting is that that like, oh, how, how long do rooms sit dirty for before they're clean? How long? Yeah. How long is the medical assistant there versus the provider? How long does do they sit waiting for like a, a rapid test that we're doing? Like we have a lot of really interesting stuff that comes out of that. And like the first step is like, how do you get accurate? metrics on that. Like if we were re relying on people going in and typing stuff into a computer, it doesn't really, it's not, it's kind of accurate, but it's not accurate enough to really make really interesting, uh, optimizations around how the clinic runs. And so by, you know, by having this thing where like, as soon as I kind of go in and out of the room, we can mark it and we know exactly the timing of those events. Um, we get some really interesting insights on just the efficiency of it. And so we sort of have, have these two sides. We have this, like, how do we build this great, like, clinic operating system of, of how do you efficiently run a clinic and the staff and all of that? And then how do you create a great 
external patient experience through through there. And so we, we have these sort of two worlds that we're working on on um, figuring out how they work together. Yeah, I love the fact that you're getting all of this data and you're able to, to use it. So to wrap up, maybe we can just uh, talk about what are you most looking forward to in the next five years in, in telehealth? Um, both, both as a, a person who's working to develop this kind of innovation, uh, but also uh, as somebody um, who will be a consumer of telehealth. I think what I'm looking most forward to is I think that the data that telehealth is collecting is going to get better and better and more refined. And what you can do with that data, especially for kids, to find cures for cancer, populations of cancer. Um, hopefully you're finding cures for cancer because of all the information you're getting. I think that's going to happen in the next five years. And it's because guys like BraveCare have all this data that they're collecting. And then on a personal level, as telehealth gets better, I just don't want to go to the doctor. So I, I think this is fantastic. I am more inclined to go to the doctor over video than I am to the office. And like I said to you before, if you can do telehealth for my dog, it's golden. Oh, that is fantastic. How about you, Asa? I think what I'm most excited about is the amount of sensors out there and what they're able to collect and and sort of this ambient intake of information where um, like I'm a big uh, like smart home nerd and I like I have a lot of the, uh, I have a lot of these devices I have air quality monitors I have all of these things and I find it really interesting to look at that stuff but it, it's for me it's only a small part right now but if those are everywhere like we had terrible wildfires you know over the last couple of weeks and it's like you know, the, um, the degree of air quality monitors that are distributed across the city and being able to see how stuff moves there. Or you think about like with health, like being able to see where people have asthma attacks and is there some correlation between like, okay, this group, this pocket of people here had it. And, and those kinds of like medical discoveries that there's really no way to make unless you have that data. And you look, you look at like historically people sort of stumbled across these where it's like, oh, we think this is getting into the water supply and causing this. It's like that was happenstance that someone noticed that. But if we can actually like have enough data distributed across the population and that we can look at it and, and make some really informed decisions and see like, oh, there's this pattern and this pattern. That's that's the part that's really exciting to me is the advancements in, in health that we can make just by having more data out there. Wow, that's fantastic. Th thanks again to you both. I really appreciated those really insightful perspectives on telehealth. It's great to see the inspiring work underway uh, in this area to leverage technology to keep everyone healthy and secure. Thanks again. <laughs>